Now, as, uh, as we approach this, enter into this new year, many of us, maybe most of us, uh, come up with New Year's resolutions, uh, things that we dropped the ball on in the previous year or that we've always been meaning to do and haven't really gotten to do. Uh, there are very, various reasons why we come up with New Year's resolutions, something we want to tackle in the new year. But what if there was a way in which you knew that this was your last year? You know, it doesn't have to be morbid. Maybe something doesn't happen to you, but maybe Jesus returns. You now we celebrate, we just celebrated Advent. That's first Advent, but we're awaiting second Advent, right? That's our hope. What if we knew and we don't, if somebody tells you they know for sure, there's something going on with the way they read their Bible. But hypothetically speaking, if we knew that 12 months from now, Jesus is going to wrap everything up, and we're going to stand before him, and we're going to give an account of how we lived our lives for him. How would that change our New Year's resolutions. Maybe you'd look at your New Year's resolution and go, hmm, given that this is my last year, that's kind of lame. Given that this is my last year, maybe this isn't my top five new things I want to do. That drops those things down to top 20, top 30, top 50. Maybe it falls off the radar and other things become the focus of my attention. I think of that as a pastor of this church. I, as, uh, you know, I, I think about giving account as a pastor, giving account as a church. What if we knew this was our last year? Would we do anything differently? Would we work a little harder? Would we be a little bit more focused? How would the life of our church change if we knew we had 12 more months before giving account to our Savior? Um, that's, that's something to think about. Because our normal mode of doing things is assuming we have more time but when you don't assume you have more time it tends to change how you live your life and they're not two separate things what is your personal new year's resolution and what is this church's new year's resolution there should be some overlap because if you are about the kingdom of god and you're a follower of jesus christ and you want to live your life in a way that pleases him then your goal and the church's goal should coincide because the body of Christ is not a building of rafters and lights and, and seats. The body of Christ is believers doing and acting and behaving the way believers should behave. Being the hands and feet and arms and legs of Jesus Christ who is our head. So the church is made of people. And if the church is going to have a, a renewed focus in 2015, it's going to be because the believers of that church have a renewed focus for 2015. 15. We can all run in our own separate directions and, and uh, have our own personal resolutions, or we can gather around a goal so that individually and corporately we can stand before the king and give an account. Now, there are a lot of verses to go to, a lot of verses to go to to talk about, well, you know, what, how can we, how can we uh, sharpen our focus on what we're supposed to be about as a church and one of those very many passages we're going to look at today, it's in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and we'll, we'll bring you one. If you don't own a Bible, please let us know and we have ones for you to take and keep at home for yourself. But we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy, 
looking at how we can sharpen our focus for 2015 as a church, as believers, sharpening our focus when we give an account of how we were as a church, how we were as believers. Now, why do I go to 2 Timothy now? There's two books, two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul left Timothy. Timothy was one of his boys. He left Timothy in Ephesus. You ever read the book of Ephesians? Okay, the book, the letter of Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. The letters to Timothy were written to the guy in charge of that church. So there's a lot that we know about Ephesus just from the book of Acts, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and the book of Ephesians. Timothy was left in Ephesus to put the church in order there. You ever meet somebody that goes, I like Jesus, I just can't stand organized religion. Well, then don't read the Bible because you see it all over the place. Paul said, hey, Ephesus, they're saved, they love Jesus, but that's not enough. They need somebody to put things in order. Get some elders, get some deacons, teach them how to do church. That's what First and Second Timothy is about. And he encourages Timothy, gives Kim, Timothy the encouragement that he needs to fulfill the task that he's supposed to do in Ephesus. Now, Timothy is thinking along the same lines of what we just talked about. How do I get this church in Ephesus focused so they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, so that they're about what they're supposed to be about, so that when there's a time to give an account, I can say, I did my job. I did my job leading this church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus can say, we did it. We did what we're supposed to do. And so we're reading the second letter that we have, at least, from Paul to Timothy. And um, we get to chapter 2. Paul just finished talking about some people that were supporting him while he was in prison. Some people deserted him while he was in prison. But here's what you're supposed to do, Timothy. While I'm in prison, here's what you're supposed to do. Verse 1 of chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Pause. Right? Sometimes we read verses and it just sounds like Christian fluff. But you have to pay attention to what he's saying. I'm about to give you a command in verse 2. I'm about to ask something of you in verse 2. And you can't do what I'm asking you to do in verse 2 unless you get what's going on in verse 1. And in verse 1 is saying, in order to do what I'm asking you to do, you can't do it on your own strength. You can't do it because you've got skills. You can't do it because of your education. You can't do it because of your charismatic attitude. You can only do it if you get strengthened by God's grace. God's grace is the help that you don't deserve that he gives you anyway. That's grace. And if you're not operating on that grace, you can't do it. So the way to tackle this New Year's resolution may be different from other New Year's resolutions is not to go, okay, I got this. I got this. I messed up last year, but this year's going to be different. I'm going to do it. I got it. And go on Facebook, then you see some, you know, serene pictures of a path in the woods and a cool quote from some saint that's gone before you, and you're like, yes, that's it. And, you know, you're just trying to encourage yourself and try to muster up strength from inside of you, but you don't have it. You don't have it. That's why you last a month, you last a week, and you fall off the rails. This is saying, in order to do the miracle that's going to be asked of you in verse 2, you have to gain the strength that's available in verse 1. You need God for this. This is a God-sized task that's being asked of you. So what is he asking of him? Verse 2. Being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what... You have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
the teaching that I've given you, the sermons that you've heard, the Bible studies that I've led and you were a part of, the one-on-one coaching that we've had, and I've given you the gospel, and I've talked to you about doctrine, I've talked to you about the faith, I've talked to you about the teaching that Jesus passed to his disciples and the disciples passed to their disciples. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, take that and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's your job. You're going to lead this church in Ephesus? That's what the church needs to be about. If you're going to be a, a guy that's in, in charge of this region, in charge of this church that's growing in Ephesus, it's not about how many, how much. It's not about do as much as you can to immediately build a building. It, it's not about any of those things. It's, it's about what's at the bottom, the core. And the core of Christianity is discipleship, disciple-making. It's the last thing Jesus left his disciples with. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them. So what did they do? They went and they made disciples, teaching them. And when they made disciples, they made disciples that were able to disciple other people. That's church. That's what church is about. And it can only happen by strength that comes from Christ. It can only happen by grace that is found in Jesus Christ. It cannot happen on our own strength. So if that scares you, the thought of discipling someone else, good. If that sounds hard, good. Because if you're like, oh yeah, sure, where do I sign up? Without giving it a second thought, then you're the type of person that doesn't think you need verse 1. And that's not good. But if you're floored by the task, and you realize how difficult it is and how daunting it actually is, that's good. Lean on verse 1. We need Christ's grace to do this task. That's not going to come easy. We need strength. That can only come from Christ. Here's the charge he gives them. What you've learned from me, what you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That is discipleship. And I just hit me now as I was laying the groundwork for you guys. As he's writing this to Timothy, we have another letter to Ephesus, the congregation that Paul wrote to the congregation. And in that congregation, he tells them that God gave, Christ gave gifts to the church in the form of evangelists and pastors. You remember this is Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, he tells the congregation of Ephesus, the same congregation that Timothy's leading, you guys have pastors and teachers for a reason. And the reason why you have them is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that's very much a reversal of what we see in a lot of churches today where people want to come and pay the pastor to do the work of the ministry. Well, that's backwards. The model laid out in Ephesians 4 is that the people come and support the pastor so that the pastor can provide training so that the people of God are equipped to do the work of the ministry. Well, what's the work of the ministry? Getting the gospel out there. Helping people grow in the gospel. And then we see that affirmed when Paul pulls Timothy aside. Hey, I wrote this letter to Ephesus, but I'm going to tell you, as you, you being the person in charge of what's going on over there, you need to make sure this is the focus. All the stuff that I've taught you, all the teaching you've learned from me, everything you've gotten from me, you're going to turn around and entrust that to faithful men who are going to then entrust that to faithful people and pass it on. That's the work of the ministry. That is the focus of the church. And if this was our last year, and we had to just kind of strip. You know, I, we're pretty lean as a church. 
And by lean, I mean we don't have a lot of fluff. Okay? We don't have a ton of programs and you know, budget items coming out of the ears, you know, just all over the place. And part of that is because we're small and it kind of forces us to, to, to be focused. But I talk to other pastors that, that commend us. And, wow, I wish, I wish we were as lean as you guys. We have so many programs. I'm like, cut some of the programs, man. Oh, but the people get upset. They'll get over it. Because they're running every which way in all kinds of directions trying to keep programs afloat. And they're missing people. So the church... If, you're, if a church is full of programs, but discipleship isn't happening, then the programs aren't working. Because everything that a church does is supposed to support its main mission. And the main mission is dunking people into that tank and then maturing them so that they can get other people who also go into that baptistry. Not because water does anything special, but because that's a symbol of me stepping into the life of Christ and saying, I'm in. I want to grow. I'm a disciple. And then we don't just leave them there. We don't just go, oh, good job. I, I took a picture. I'll email it to you. Good job. Enjoy your t-shirt. You know, I was baptized at CFC on this date or whatever. No, it's more than that. It's that's step one. Now it's time to grow, buddy. I'm not okay with you just staying there. That's not okay with you continuing those habits. It's time to, it's time to step up. It's time to level up. And we need to come around people and make sure that they're growing. Help them to grow. Give them the grace and the strength that's been given to us. Pass it on to them. The teaching that's been given to us, pass it on to them. Now, here's, here's something that's really interesting about this verse. Okay? It doesn't say, now, Timothy, take what you've heard from me and pass it on to just anyone and everyone that you possibly can come across. It doesn't say just everyone that just comes in the door, just make sure you give them the teaching. He, he, doesn't, say, he doesn't put it that way. What he does say is to take this teaching and entrust it. Now, entrusting is a special term. Now, if, if, I, if I were to tell somebody, you know, Anthony, here, man, I'm going to just, here, have my Bible. Versus, hey, man, I'm entrusting this Bible to you. That's a different term than, here, have it. Here, take it. Here, I'm entrusting this. What does that mean? It means this is special to me, and I'm trusting that you're going to take care of this. That when you're entrusting somebody with something, you look them in the eye before you give it to them. You make sure there's a certain kind of person that you're giving this to before you entrust. You don't entrust things randomly to a stranger. That's not entrusting. Entrusting means that I've scoped you out first and saw that you're the type of person that can handle what I'm about to give you, and then I give it. So what is this saying? Is this saying only proclaim the gospel to people that are? No, no. But this is about discipleship. This is about taking people in church and leveling them up to another level of Christianity. And that doesn't just happen with anybody. If someone comes to church, we're glad that they're coming to church, but they're just kind of not really interested, and they're listening to the sermons, but they still berate their wife at home, you know, and ah, they yell at their kids every chance they get, and and they're just kind of rough around the edges and stuff like that. Not a lot of entrusting to that person. And we can talk with them and, and share with them the gospel, and hopefully they start growing. But this is, this is a little bit different. This is Paul telling Timothy, I want you to find a few good men. I want you to find a few good women. Now he says men, but it's the generic term that can en- encompass both genders. Entrust to faithful men. A certain kind of person, a certain kind of believer. 
Not everyone's going to be able to step up to real discipleship, real learning. Because it's tough. But if you, if you discover a few people in your congregation that are faithful, that are hungry, they're thirsty for Christ, they don't get enough of Him, they want to grow, those are the types you can train. And so He says... I want you to find these people. I want you to find people that will be able to pass it on to others. That's the task of discipleship. And so at Christian Fellowship Church, we're looking for a few good men and a few good women who are not satisfied with the lower levels of Christianity. Even in a group this size, that's not going to be everyone. Because some of us, we're okay with it. We're okay with entry-level Christianity. What are those lower levels? I'll lay it out. Here's how I see it. Talk three levels. Level one, church attendance. I come, and I come regularly. I don't just come at, you know, holidays and certain seasons. I don't just come when I'm reminded to come. I'm a regular. I come. I attend. People know my name. Okay? That's regular attendance. Great. That's great. Level two is contribution. I don't just come and receive. I come and I give. I give of my time. I give of my money. I give of my talents. Do I know how to fix stuff? Do I know how to, how to count money? Do I know how to arrange chairs? Do I know how to fix carpet? Whatever you know how to do. Or however you can spend your time to help contribute to the function, functioning of the church. Great. See, it's not just mere attendance, but now I'm serving. That's great. But level three is I don't just come and attend and I don't just contribute. But through personal relationships, I pass my faith on to others. That doesn't mean become an elder. That doesn't mean preach. That doesn't mean lead worship. It just means through some connection with someone else, you take them to coffee, you meet them before church, you have lunch after church, once a month or twice a month or once a week, whatever it is, you touch base with that person Phone call, text. I mean, we have all kinds of ways. Instagram them, tweet, tweet them. I mean, there's no excuse now, right? There's all kinds of ways to get a hold of people. There's a good old-fashioned ring the doorbell and say, hey, I'm grabbing lunch. Do you have plans? But it's passing on your faith, what's been taught to you, turning it around and entrusting that to someone else. That's discipleship. And it doesn't take a seminary degree. It doesn't take Bible expertise. Now, you're going to grow in your Bible knowledge because they're going to ask you questions and you're like, "Uh, I don't remember. And you're going to go check that and it's going to force you to grow. That's good. I thought I remembered math until I'm helping my kids at home and they're bringing homework home and I'm like, let me get this. And I come across a problem and I go, I don't remember how to do that. I got to kind of go back and look it up again and go, oh, okay. And now I have to learn Common Core, so this is fun. Uh kind of relearning math, remembering what I learned, and as I'm helping my kids, I'm getting better at math. This is the same thing spiritually. You have Bible knowledge, and it's kind of swimming around in there, but when you're discipling someone else, they're forcing you to kind of string the bits together a little bit, making sense of the whole so that you can teach them. So 
Paul is asking Timothy to do is not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to do because it's hard work. And he knows it's going to be hard work. How do we know it's, he knows it's going to be hard work? Listen to his next verse in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I think Paul knew it was going to be tough. Because his very next line is encouraging him to suffer well. Suffer with fortitude and perseverance. Suffer like a soldier suffers when they're in boot camp. That's a perfect analogy. You know, the military wants recruits. The military doesn't want less recruits. They want more recruits. But that doesn't mean they just give everyone a rifle and a rank. You got to go through some sort of phase, some sort of training. You got to go through some sort of boot camp. And if you don't got it, as badly as we want more recruits, you need to go home, bro. Is this the same thing spiritually? The, the, the church isn't supposed to just kind of willy-nilly let everybody believe what they want. No, there's things that you're supposed to believe. There are things that are core to the faith of Christianity, and you need to get that. Are you ready for this? I'm ready for this. Okay, I'm going to give it to you. And so the training commences. And as that training commences, hey, it's not good enough for you to keep this to yourself. You need to find someone else and pass it on to someone else. Because a disciple is a disciple maker. A disciple is not a non-disciple maker. A disciple is supposed to make disciples. There's a, both a receiving end and a giving end to what a disciple is. Receiving teaching and giving that teaching to someone else. At least at level three of Christianity, that's what it's about. And I want to say this. I so appreciate and I'm grateful for the level one and twos. The level ones and twos are the ones that come and they attend. I love that. I love that consistency. You don't have the, the level ones don't need the babysitter. Come on, it's time for church. They make it a habit. They know they need to be here. The level twos, we would die without the level twos. We wouldn't be able to do anything with our church grounds and the, the things that need to be fixed. We need that stuff. Money helps the church go. We need people to give money. So level ones and twos, great. We need level ones and twos. And in fact, if somebody comes and purports to be a level three, but they don't do level one and two, you're a fake. If you want to come and teach other people, but you don't understand the importance of regular attendance and being a part of a body of a church, and you don't understand the importance of using my gifts, my talents, my resources to support the kingdom work of this church, I don't want to do those first two. I just want to tell people about theology. No. Because you don't get it. But the level ones and twos that this church is full of, as much as I appreciate that, we need more level threes. Because if it's full of ones and twos, and the only three happening is the pastor, that's not a church doing the work of the ministry. It's a reversal of Ephesians 4 again. But I think, more often than not, it's not someone saying, I think the pastor should do it. It's someone saying, the pastor can do it, and I can't. I don't feel like I have what it takes to do it. I think that's more often the case than the, other t- than the other thing. But like I said, it doesn't take expertise, but it does take strengthening. It does take a serious attitude. It doesn't take a whole bunch of know-how, but it takes a spiritual enabling to say, man, I don't, I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I'm going to jump in there. Can you train me? Can you help me? Yes, we can. But you need to be a soldier. Because it might take some suffering. Verse 4. Now at first when I was reading this, okay, 
full disclosure, I was reading this, I thought, okay, verses 1, 2, and 3, now he's switching topics and going to verse 4. Now, you need to realize, when you're reading the original manuscripts written in Greek, there are no verses numbers, there's no chapter numbers, there are no paragraph breaks. Half of the uh, uh, punctuation that we have in the English didn't even exist in the Koine Greek. So you have to kind of discern where's the sentence ending, where's the paragraph ending, is he moving to a new thought? And so sometimes I'll look at a passage and I'm like, okay, ESV kept it one paragraph, but I'm thinking it's another paragraph. Because he's talking about discipleship, and now he's talking about suffering for the gospel. Now he's talking about persecution. Sounds like a different topic to me. Then I realize it's not a different topic because I got down to verse 14. Just drop your eyes down to verse 14 real quick. He says, remind them of these things. Remind who of these things? I thought we were talking about suffering. Who's he reminding of what things? The people that you're discipling, remind them of the things that I'm teaching you in this chapter. He's still on the topic of discipleship when he talks about suffering in verse 4. Does that make sense? It's going to become more clear in a moment. But Paul is not switching gears in his mind. He's not like, check, I talked about discipleship, now moving to a new topic. He's staying on topic because he knows that when you get serious about discipling other people, it's going to get hot for you. You're going to get persecuted on some level. Now, Paul was literally thrown in jail, and when he was writing this letter to Timothy, was actually awaiting his death sentence. So that's the high, you know, highest level of persecution that you can get. We may not experience it on that level, but it's going to get tough. You're going to have to bring up an awkward conversation with somebody that maybe doesn't want to talk about that right now. You're going to have to ask somebody, how, so how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine. And you're, not going to, you're going to have to not take fine as fine. And you're going to have to dig a little bit, man. Were you, were you hitting the bottle again? Were you hanging out with that woman that's not your wife again? Discipleship isn't easy. Oh, man, shut up. You're always riding me. You're always riding me. Just like the soldier sometimes isn't best friends with the sergeant. But he's got to be told. I mean, in a loving way. We don't berate them like the military, Right? But you, 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 have to, you, have to, you have to get into their lives and, and urge them along. And you can't urge them along if everything that comes out of your mouth is little hallmark sayings all the time. And so it's tough. It's going to be difficult. That person that you're discipling is going to have friends, is going to have neighbors, is going to have spouses, is going to have kids that can't stand what they're doing. And you have to teach them how to be a soldier. Then Paul provides three analogies of how to weather the storm when it gets tough. And the first one, he continues with the soldier theme, verse 4. You know, discipleship and the persecution that comes along with it is like being a soldier. And a soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. A soldier has a singular aim. He has a post. And he's supposed to man that post until he's relieved of that command. He's not supposed to leave that post and go do this over here and go get involved over there and go try to handle this situation over there. He's supposed to do his job. And he's like, that, that's, that's the same as a, as a disciple. There's going to be times you're like, oh, man, this is tough. What about this over here? What about this over there? This person doesn't like what I'm doing. Oh, it gets so tough. I don't have time. It's so difficult. It's snowing. I'm feeling depressed today. Hey, be a soldier. You don't get to report with excuses. You do your job. 
you man your post. And what's your post? If you're a level three disciple, your post is to disciple someone else, even when it's tough. His second analogy is an athlete. Verse five, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Oh, man. An athlete has rules to abide by. I don't care how talented you are, how high you can jump, how fast you can run. You break the rules, you're out. Do you think of this whole Lance Armstrong thing? Wow, he's written books and he's got all these fans and everything like that. Does he have talent? He does have talent. Did he conquer cancer? Yeah, awesome, awesome. But if he cheated, he gets stripped of all those prizes, all those crowns. They're gone because of rules. Now, we're not supposed to come into this thing thinking we're rock stars. Look at all the verses I know. Look at how awesome I am, you know? No. You should also know that there's certain rules to abide by. There's doctrine to follow. There's certain, there's certain aspects of the core of Christianity that you need to understand, and that's where there's training. That's why we have things like what we're doing now. We have things like the men's breakfast and the women's brunches where learning happens. We have things like our growth groups where there's accountability and learning happens. But there's rules to abide by. And if you're going to be a disciple and you want to level up and mature in Christ, you need to be discipling someone else. Well, what if it gets hard? It doesn't matter. The rules say, now we love playing board games at the house. And I'll be the first one to, to slap the rules down on the table. You can't do that. You can't do that. I'm always a rule caller. I'm sure it's annoying sometimes. I play basketball. I'm like, double dribble. <laughs> what are you talking about? You put it down? You went like that, and then you put it down again. No one else saw it? I'll call it. Well, the guy's better than me. That's all I have, right? Call the rules when he does something wrong. Listen, you can't just go willy-nilly, do whatever you want. There's rules. You want to be an athlete? You want to train hard? That's great. You got a lot of talent? That's awesome. We need that. But there's rules to abide by. And one of those rules is, hey, it's going to get tough. But it gets tough for everybody. You need a disciple, someone else. Third analogy is a farmer. Verse 6, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to, leave, who ought to have the first share of the crops. In other words, a farmer knows it's going to take hard work to get the crop. It's not the farmer that gets up late. It's not the farmer that plows just half the field but then got tired. It's not the farmer that got tired of feeding the animals. It's the farmer that gets up, gets out there, and gets to work. That's the farmer that gets things done. That's the farmer that gets rewarded. Now, you want to be before the king and hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant? I'm sorry, it's not going to be because you were level one or level two. Well done, good and faithful servant is not going to be, wow, you attended church every Sunday. Perfect attendance. Here's your gold star. Well done, good faithful servant is not going to be, wow, you contributed a lot of money. Well done, good and faithful servant is going to be, wow, you discipled other people. It's clear as day in Scripture. You have to be a soldier. You have to be an athlete that understands the rules. You have to be a farmer who understands the hard work that's involved. 
And verse 7, he just gives them the three analogies, and I love it. Verse 7, he just says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. In other words, the first time I read it, a farmer, a soldier, a, a what? What am I supposed to be? Yeah, dwell on that, man. Chew on that for a little while. Think about a farmer and how it relates to being a Christian. Think about a soldier and how it relates on those mornings when it's hard for you to get up and make that phone call to the person you're supposed to hold accountable. Think about the athlete when you're about to fall into a temptation and you know that tomorrow you have to make a phone call to somebody and ask them if they fall into temptation. And it's going to be hard to ask them if they did it. If you're falling into it, be an athlete. Learn the rules and play right. This passage is just a difficult one to step up to. And that's why we need verse 1. When we feel like we can't do it, when we feel like we don't know enough, when we feel like it's too difficult, we need verse 1. We need strength and grace that can only come from Jesus Christ. So although it's going to take hard work, a faithful believer will disciple other believers on some level. Now, I I just got to take a few minutes. What does this look like? Right, because we can leave here and go, yeah, I need to disciple others. What do I do? Something about an athlete, right? So we, get, we need to get practical. And this is something that I think it's, we just keep it simple. Keep it simple. This isn't about let me go to seminary and get a few degrees. No, 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 no. You take what you've been taught so far, and you take that and turn around and give it to someone else who hasn't been around it as much yet. You don't need to be a Bible expert. You're just a little further along the path than someone else who just started. That's all. That's all. It's like with anything else. You know, when you get into something, you went to your first Zumba class. Oh, I love it. This is great. And you told your friend how awesome it was, and they started coming to you to Zumba. You didn't wait till you became certified as a Zumba instructor before you invited. You just saw how awesome it was. You liked it. You experienced it one time. This person has experienced it zero times. Therefore, that makes you more experienced in it than that person. Therefore, it was providing the platform to invite them to come and check it out. Correct? It's the same with Christianity. I don't wait till I'm, I have three PhDs in theology to invite somebody to coffee and talk to them about the Lord. I came to church. I heard a message from 2 Timothy. I want to talk about it. I came to church. I heard a message from Matthew 5, whatever it is. I took some notes. I want to pass it on to somebody. And so I grab somebody else who hasn't been around that, and I talk with them about it. So the first thing you do is you befriend somebody, and the second thing you do is take them through something, take them through a book. Now, some of you, you know, know about the Multiply book by Francis Chan. That's a great resource. Take them through the Gospel of John. Take them through the Gospel of Mark. It's short. Tell them, look, this is the shortest one. This is the shortest one. Let's just go through Mark. Right? Take them through a few Psalms. You say, let's just start Old Testament. It's some basic Psalms, maybe some of the shorter ones, some of the familiar ones, Psalm 23. Hey, let's take a month and just unpack Psalm 23. A whole month? Trust me, there's a lot there. And just do a couple verses at a time. So if you're taking something that you're learning, Scripture, and you're passing it on to someone else, that's discipleship. It doesn't matter if it happens here at church or in a coffee shop. It could be Starbucks. It could be at your house. You all love to eat, right? I do. Invite someone along. Invite someone along. Say, hey, we're all going to this place to eat. Want to come? Hey, I heard that you work over here. 
what time do you get out? Because I work over there. What if we meet up and catch the game together at the sports grill? Hey, you got a little kid. I got a little kid. Let's do a play date. The kids will hang out. We'll talk. It's not hard. It's not difficult. You don't have to put on a seminar. You don't need a whiteboard with markers. You just need this and someone else. That's all. I think we would be amazed to find out how many people would be willing to do this if we were willing to ask. No one's going to come up to you. It's very rare. Very rare is a situation where someone comes up to you and says, hey, I really am dying to know a lot about the gospel. Would you teach me? See, if they had the maturity to ask that, they'd probably be discipling you, right? But they don't have the maturity to ask that. But if you asked, said, hey, I, I love going to church. I've been learning a lot lately. And man, I just, I want to talk about it with somebody. Make sure I understand it. I want to make sure someone else understands it. I'm not sure where you are on that. What if we just kicked around a few topics? Have you ever read the Bible before? Well, I've read it a few times, whatever. Have you ever read it with somebody where you can kind of like share comments on it and just kind of see if we're reading it right? No, I've never done that before. Hey, what if we did the Gospel of John? Of the four Gospels, John is very different from the other three. What if we walk through John together? What do you mean walk through it together? Oh, hey, you read, you read a chapter, I'll read the same chapter, and we, we meet up, and we just talk about it. No handouts, no worksheets. Unless you got a real nerd, they might like worksheets. Hey, I'll even give you worksheets. Oh, yeah, I love that, you know. Help them out. Help them out, whatever's going to help them. But you walk them through stuff, start asking questions, start figuring out where they are in terms of belief. Do they understand the gospel? If they don't, lay the gospel out for them. If you're not sure how to lay the gospel out for them, then I'm failing you. Come to me, and we'll talk about how to lay the gospel out in front of somebody so that they understand what they need to understand to join up. All right? Okay, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And I'm hoping that this could be that this will be uh, a resolution for our church, a resolution for our, the believers in this congregation to not be satisfied with level one, level two, but to level up. Now, some of you might be in here and you're like, oh my goodness, I just started. How do I? It's okay. Everyone starts at level one and moves to level two. So if you've been a Christian for five years, ten years plus, and you're still stuck at one, two, it's time to take 2 Timothy 2 seriously so that we can be the church that the Lord wants us to be. Amen? All right. Let's stand together and close in a song.